All right, the title for our lesson today is Where Does God Draw the Lines? Where Does God Draw the Lines? Brother Phil, I want to ask you a question, if you would. Who is the ultimate authority of what is right and what is wrong? God, that's right. Brother Caleb, who decides what is good and what is bad? God. Brother Jim, who decides what is sin and what is not? God. The only real answer to these questions are God Himself. We do not get to make up what is right and what is wrong. We don't get to choose what is bad or what is good. Our feelings do not dictate what is sin and what is not. The scientific community does not decide what is truth and what is not. They can only seek to find what God has already laid out in Scripture and in the world. The United States government does not get to decide what is morally good and what is morally bad. Oftentimes they make the wrong decision when it comes to questions like that. God has always been always is and always will be the only true source of absolute truth and morality. God is the originator of truth itself. I'm sorry, I can't grab the pages. My hands are uh, froze today. I was in a class. I wasn't even supposed to take it, but I wanted to take personal finance uh, my last semester at college, and I knew it was a 7 o'clock class, which is about the earliest you can get. So I took another one uh, in the fall that I didn't have to take to be like, well, if I can't handle a 7 o'clock class in the fall, I won't take it in the spring. But this class in the fall, it was called America's Founding Fathers. And it was about God's relationship with our country and its founding and things like that. And the teacher, um, Stephen, I forget his last name uh, off the top of my head, but uh, he's a very intelligent man. And, and the first lecture that we had was about how a nation always follows the moral values given to it by its gods. He gave us some examples. The Viking people were one of the examples he gave, and I want to use that today. Keep this in mind as we look through these examples. A nation always follows the moral values and truth given to it by what it calls God. The Viking peoples were pillaging, murderous and adulterous people. That's how we know them in history. And the Viking gods, if you know anything about them, they were murderous, pillaging, and adulterous gods. Those attributes carried over from what they believed, what their god was, into what the people became. Another example he gave us were the Aztecs. The Aztec gods were cruel and vicious. They took sacrifices of human blood several, several times over. That's why they killed as many people as they did. And as a result, the Aztec people were cruel and vicious. Now I want to give you an example that might hit a little bit closer to home. I would say that the God of America today is atheism or agnosticism. That means this, no God or we can not truly know if God exists. If I could put it this way, the God of America has become to not have a God. The God of America has become... There is no way that we could ever know God if there is one. Or if I could put it another way, mankind himself has become the very God of our nation. And as a result, the people of America have turned into a godless people. We slaughter unborn children in the name of convenience. Why? 
Because there's no God to tell us that it's right or wrong. Because our God has become what our feelings are and what man says. And man is often controlled by convenience or what he feels rather than any kind of absolute truth or morality. Most of of the people in America have become depressed. Hollow shells just trying to get by. They feel like they can't even know what they're supposed to do with their life. But isn't it interesting that they think that they can't know a God and now they cannot know themselves. Now they cannot know what their life is supposed to mean. A people will always have the attributes of whatever they worship, whatever their God is. And atheism's God is no God. So when you have no God, you have no life. You have no truth. You have no morality. You just have a whole of what could be there. Now that there is no God, there is no truth. When your God is no God, there can be no truth. When your God is we cannot know God, no one even seeks to find the truth. And I would say that's exactly where our society is today. When you become apathetic toward a God and its effect on your life or society or anything in general, you become an apathetic people. Now, Brother Ed, would you say that America in general has become an apathetic people? Would you say that that's true? Would you say that they have become apathetic toward God? Why do two of those things coexist? Why do those things seem to coincide with each other? Because again, as I said, whatever a nation's God is, that's what the people will become. Our nation's biggest problem is not that we don't care about the sanctity of human life, although that is a big problem. Our nation's biggest problem is not that we have become apathetic, although that is a big problem. Our nation's biggest problem is not that we have no moral standard now. Our biggest problem is that our God has become humanity itself. Now that we've gotten into that, if you want to know what I I titled that in my notes, it was called the pre-introduction. So now we have just hit the introduction here. Uh, Miss Peggy Kozak, uh, I have a question for you. Does God make the rules or do you make the rules in your own life? Who's supposed to make the rules? God's supposed to make the rules, that's right. I like the honesty though. Listen, I respect the honesty, I believe it. This morning, I would like to try and set the record straight about the lines we draw as Christians. I think that we all understand that as Christians there are certain things that we shouldn't do. There are certain things that we shouldn't act like and there are certain things we shouldn't take part in. But I feel like most of us don't often know what this should look like or how to live that out in our life. Now before any of you get nervous, this is not my rant about what I think is right and what is wrong, nor is this a rip on how anybody in here lives their life. This is intended to show you where God draws His lines for us and to remove any unnecessary lines that we have put upon ourselves. Before we can understand where the true lines are, we must understand where they come from. This is why I've been asking you these questions. Where do we get what we believe from? Where does our doctrine come from? Well, it shouldn't come from what your grandfather thought it was. It shouldn't come from what your family traditions are. What you believe should come from God himself and nowhere else. Nowhere else. 
Who gets to decide how we live for God? Do we get to decide what it looks like to live for God? Or does God decide what it looks like? What would you say? God. That's what it should be. Who gets to decide what God wants from us? Do we get to decide that? Or does God decide that? God decides that. Who gets to decide how we worship God? Us or Him? God. God Himself is supposed to be the dictator of our doctrine, of how we live our life, what our preferences are, what we look like, what we sound like, what we decide not to do, and what we do decide to do. And there are times when He is not as interested in a subject, but oftentimes it seems like we'll hold on to those things more than the things that He's clear about. I'm not interested in what a man or a politician or a preacher or a pastor, a pope, a book, a feeling, or a TV show host says Christianity is supposed to look like. I'm not. I'm interested in knowing what God wants my life to look like and what He says He wants me to do. I'm not interested in what everybody else has to say a Christian is supposed to look like and sound like. I need to know what God says a Christian looks like and sounds like. And that's the goal for this morning. The first point, the first line, if I could put it that way, is what I have entitled the borderline or the brotherhood line. And I believe Mark 1.15 gives us the best simple example of this. This is what you would call the outermost line. These are people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said this in Mark 1.15, and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Look at this last phrase real quick. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The outermost line of a person's life by the standard that God sets is this. Are you saved or are you lost? That is the outermost line. Are you saved or are you lost? Are you in the family of God or are you still a child of Satan without him? There are two core things that this requires. The first thing is to repent. Repent means to turn from or to change one's mind. I have made a couple of statements here that kind of rephrase what the definition of these words are. So I would say repent means this. I personally understand that I have wronged God and I want to correct those mistakes. I would say repent means this. I have sinned against God and I want to be forgiven. I'd also say it means this. I am turning from my sin, away from my sin, toward God Himself. That's the first part. The second part is, this, is what he says here in Mark 1.15. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Believe the gospel is the second part. Well, you may ask, what is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Verse 3, For I declared unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's what the gospel is. So if I was to quantify believing the gospel into statements like I did with repent, 
I would say this. I believe that Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that Christ died in my place. And I believe that Christ rose from the dead to prove to me that He had the power over life and death to give me eternal life. If you believe those two things, if you have done those two things and accepted Christ's offer for forgiveness of your sins, you're saved. Would we agree with that today? You're saved if you believe those things. If you repent and believe, you are saved. You are a brother or sister in Christ. But here's the part that gets a little muddied. If someone else repents and believes, they are a brother and sister in Christ. See, we often say that all we have to do is repent and believe to be saved. For ourselves, we'll believe that, we'll say that. But then for others, we like to add extra lines. We like to say, well, if they don't believe a certain way about this or a certain way about that, they're not our brother and sister in Christ, really. But that's not true. God draws the line on whether or not you believe the gospel and repent of your sins. And anyone who does that, regardless, regardless of whatever they believe on anything else, they're your brother and sister in Christ. If they have the gospel right, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are our family through God if they have the gospel right. Now, if they add anything or remove anything from the gospel, they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 1, 6 through 9 says this, I marvel that ye are soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So that's the line. For those of us that have repented and believed the gospel and have the gospel right and teach the true gospel, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are inside that borderline of God. We are inside that brotherhood line. We can look different. We can believe different things, but if they believe that, they're in the line. But if they don't, they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are many churches out there, many people out there, that do not believe a true gospel, that add things to the gospel, or they get rid of things from the gospel. If they do that, they might be the nicest person in the world. Most of them are because they think good works will save them. Those people are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. They have not passed that line. They have not passed that checkpoint in their relationship with God. So if they do believe it, they're our brother and sister. And if they don't, what did Paul say? What did Paul say? He said, let him be accursed. If I could put it this way, those that teach or preach another gospel are our enemies. I'm not saying that you should hate every person that doesn't believe the gospel, but they're not your brother and sister in Christ. Those that would teach or preach or pervert the gospel from its original state are our enemies. We need to keep that in mind as we fight the devil and fight the world and fight these things that are coming up against us. Now notice that I said that repent and believe is the only thing you need to believe 
to be saved, to be part of that brotherhood, to be a part of our family of God. There are certain things that they don't have to believe to be able to be our brother or sister in Christ. They do not have to believe that women should wear skirts and dresses to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I right? Do they have to believe that to be considered a brother and sister in Christ or not? doesn't sound like it to me. They don't have to believe that men have to have short hair to be a brother and sister in Christ. Yeah, they might look like a 70s hippie or something like that, but they could still be a brother and sister in Christ. Right, Phil? Isn't that right? Now here's the part that might get me in trouble. They don't have to believe that the King James Bible is the only Bible they can use to be a brother and sister in Christ. They don't have to believe that. All they have to believe is to repent and believe the gospel. We would say that about our own salvation and our own brotherhood. But are we adding these extra lines to everybody else's? They don't have to believe that to be a brother and sister in Christ. They don't have to believe that Baptist has to be on the church sign. There are many people that believe the same way as us, that are a part of groups that don't traditionally believe the real gospel, but they do teach the real gospel. It has nothing to do with the sign that's on the church. It has to do with what they believe in their heart about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and whether or not they've accepted that. They don't have to believe anything else to be a brother and sister in Christ than the true gospel. Would you agree with that this morning? Would you say that is the first line? Would you say that is the dividing line that God sets for every human being is that they're either saved or they're lost and nothing else is a part of that requirement. Would you say that? Amen. Amen. I'm glad. I'm glad you're not mad at me already. Okay? Yeah, all right. Yes. Uh, well, this might, this might get me past there. But now that we've talked about the primary line, the border line, the brotherhood line, there is a second line that is often muddied by personal feelings or personal ideals. That is what I like to call the secondary line or the fellowship line. And the Bible talks about that in 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 through 15. Pastors actually talked about this and, and uh, his message, I don't remember how long ago it was, but his message really helped me look into this and a few other things like this. But the Bible says this, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. Keep that in mind that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. There are people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ that we cannot fellowship with. Do you understand that? People can be a part of your family and you still not be able to fellowship with them. Do you understand that? Do we understand that those are two separate lines? There are people that can believe the gospel. They're not our enemy. They're our brother, like this verse is saying. But we're not supposed to have company with them. They're not supposed to be a part of our fellowship. They're not supposed to be helping us serve in any capacity. Are they our enemies? No, they're not our enemies. God has given us a secondary line in our Christian walk. If someone is teaching things that are in opposition with Scripture... They are not to be in fellowship with us. Would you agree with that? 
Do you agree with that, Brother Phil? That's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you were able to come with us this morning. We are not to serve with people that teach things that violate Scripture. We are not to yoke up with other believers that believe things that are against Scripture. There are groups that have church written on the sign that we cannot be involved with. They are not our enemy, but that does not make them our ally. They are not our enemy, but that does not make them our ally. This line is only what Scripture says and nothing else. It's not what your grandma believed, what your grandfather believed. It's not what you were taught when you were growing up that makes up this line. It's not the traditions. It's not the things that you have believed your entire life that make these things a line that should not be crossed. The only thing that dictates what's on this line is what Scripture says and nothing else. We already said that we do not dictate what we believe. God dictates what we believe. We've already said that God is the one that should tell us how to live the Christian life. He should tell us what things to do and what things not to do. And if His Word tells us to do something, we are supposed to do it, right? If His Word tells us not to do something, we're not supposed to do it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that that, uh, tripped me up for a long time. And I think it trips up a lot of us. I'm not saying in, in this particular room. What happens if God's Word does not talk about a specific issue? What happens if we believe something that the Word of God does not talk about and somebody else believes the opposite? That's right. You would be convicted of it. But here's the thing. This line, this do not fellowship line, only is... It's only defined by what Scripture says. So if there's something that Scripture does not speak of and they believe something different than us, they can still be in our fellowship. They don't have to be separated like it's talking about here. Can you go back to verse 14, Gary? Notice this is what he says. If any man obey not our word by this epistle... If I could rephrase that, if any man does not believe what the Scripture says... Then note that man and have no company with him. Here's one thing that I've noticed um, being able to be back here after college. A lot of us don't believe the same thing about particular issues. Uh, Me, Brother Corey, and Pastor John have very differing things about little details and things like that. Uh, You know, there are few things that the Bible is not necessarily clear on that we believe different things about. Does that mean that me and Brother Corey and Pastor John can't go to church together? Does that mean that we're not able to fellowship together? Does that mean that we're not able to have company with each other? No. No, it does not. Now, if there's something that's in Scripture that you can point out to me and say, Jacob, this is what Scripture says, and then I go and do the opposite of that and refuse to repent of that, then throw me out. Throw me out. I I would prefer you to do that if that was the case. But there are issues that we say are a part of this secondary line that are not. We add certain things at times that are not important, that God has decided are not even important to write about in His Word that He gave us to live our lives out, and yet we get so upset over those things. 
We get so mad over those little things from time to time. If the scripture is silent, then it's not a big deal. I'm going to say that again. If the scripture is silent, then it's not a big deal. Jeff, are you still, are you mad at me yet? Jim, sorry. Sorry, I got Jeff on the brain. I still don't know if they're going to be here. Or not. We had five Jeffs, we had five Jeffs that were leaving today, so I thought I'd have to, I'd have to throw one in here. So now we've gotten to the conclusion of our lesson today. When we draw lines where God does not, we become modern-day Pharisees. If you read about Jesus' day, that's exactly what they did. They were told not to do anything on the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, to rest on the Sabbath day. Well, after the Pharisees got a hold of it, you weren't allowed to lick a certain number of stamps on the Sabbath day. You weren't allowed to have a certain number of nails in your shoe on the Sabbath day. There were certain things that were so ridiculous that they added that made them think they were better Christians. But it was not a line that God drew. It was not a line that God drew. When we do that, we become just like them, the people that Jesus was against. When we allow people to cross these lines and do nothing, we become partakers with their heresy. Here's the, the double-edged sword about these lines. Does that, there is a certain amount of freedom that comes with these lines that God has given us, and that's okay to have freedom and not have everything dictated to you in every single detail. That's okay. But there's also a certain fight that needs to be fired up in a Christian that says, if someone is not saved, they're not my brother and sister in Christ. If someone is preaching another gospel, they are my enemy, and I need to find a way to be able to fight that. They need to have the fire enough to say, if somebody is clearly against Scripture, then they cannot fellowship with me. There are two sides to that. So I pray that we would not add extra things and become Pharisees, but I also pray that we wouldn't become a mega-liberal mega and forget these lines entirely. We must uphold these lines with our very lives as Christians because these are what dictate what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. Things that did not matter to God enough to put in Scripture should not matter to us. They should not be big deals to us if God thought it was not important enough to write about in His Word. I have heard it said that some like to major on the minors. Have you heard that? I've heard that. This is not accurate. I don't think it's an accurate description of what people often do. I would put it this way. They are majoring on their own feelings and their traditions. Whenever they add extra things, they're not taking something small that God talked about and making it big. They're taking something God never talked about and make it something big. People will, no, what, what 2 Thessalonians is is a, is a definition of where that line is. 
So people that are not worthy of fellowship are people that do not believe the same thing that the, that the Scripture says, people that are in direct opposition to Scripture. What I'm talking about now is people that will add extra lines to that. So we have the borderline of what is the gospel, people that are brothers and not brothers and sisters in Christ. Then we have the fellowship line. Those are people that we can go to church with. Those are people that we can serve God with. But then people like to add a third level of preferences. They like to add a third level of personal traditions and things like that and say, well, people cannot fellowship with me if they don't believe a certain thing, or they're not as good of a Christian as I am if they don't follow X, Y, and Z. I'll give you an example. Um, I actually think I have this in my notes. But one thing that... uh, So I grew up in a very liberal church, okay? Um, I'm pretty sure I've said this several times here, but, you know, I used to believe in speaking in tongues. I never could do it, uh, but I did believe that that was a thing. Um, you know, we did the slain in the spirit thing where they like hit you on the forehead and if you don't fall over, they'll throw you on the ground, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, well, then I ended up going to this church. Um, this is my first exposure to Baptists. I thought, I thought the uh, King James Bible was crazy. I'd never seen it before, and I thought a hymn book was crazy. And if you know anything about me, all I read is the King James, and all that I really like to sing are hymns now. Uh, but one thing that I noticed was uh, that I never really did understand was why people dressed up for church. You know, I never really did understand that. And, uh, but, and it's not like, like there are things in Scripture, like you're supposed to cover your nakedness, uh, which is defined for us in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And there are things like modesty, covering yourself up to a certain degree, making sure that you're not drawing too much attention to yourself, humility in your dress, right? Those are, those are principles in Scripture. But God's Word never tells us to dress up for church. God's Word never tells us that we should dress to impress for anyone else or to dress to impress for Him. It never says that. So, uh, you know, I, I got that here, and, you know, you know, you see me wearing a tie. Um, it's really because Pastor told me that he preferred me to wear a tie whenever I'm up doing stuff here at the church. But um, that was one thing that I never really did understand, but I just went with it. You know, because I had grown up in a liberal background, I thought, well, maybe that's something else that I'll find out about later. Well, then I went to a college where that's that's what they believed, you know, and it was a real big deal there uh, to the point to where um, I was coming back from my landscaping job, and I told my the men of dean the dean of men, I said, hey, I said. I don't really have time to change. You know, I have like my work clothes on and we're not allowed to go to a service there unless we have a suit coat and a tie on. Like that was one rule that we were not allowed to to break. And I was like, you know, I just don't have time to change. The service is in a couple of minutes. I'm here in the parking lot. Is it okay if I go into the service? He told me, and I love him. Okay, I love that brother. He told me to go home and not go to the church service because I was not dressed up the way that I was supposed to be. Yes, God does give us principles for things like that. He gives us principles for life. But whenever we take those small principles and then turn them into a law in and of themselves, that's wrong. That's what the Pharisees did. Whenever we sit in the church pew and we think, well, that woman has pants on and I have a dress on and that makes me a better Christian than them, that's wrong. That's what the Pharisees did. That's wrong. Whenever you see somebody that comes in, they're wearing a T-shirt and jeans or something like that instead of a suit coat and a tie, that's not right for you to sit there and, and say, 
well, man, they must not be a Christian, or, or man, I, you know, what happened to them, you know? Johnny let his hair grow out a couple extra inches, and, and now he's wearing T-shirts and jeans to church. What happened to him? The problem is that God has set these lines for us. And then we take those lines, make up our own, and then we make it sound like our lines and God's lines are equal when they're not. I'm, I'm, this is farther on down the lines, but I'm going to go ahead and say this. If you have preferences like that you should dress up for church and your reasoning is I dress up for church because I feel like I'm honoring the Lord with that, that's okay for you to do that. But you need to make sure that that is not held up to the same standard as this is what God says. You know, what you like or what you think is okay or what you think helps your relationship with God should not hurt what you think about other Christians. It should not be upheld to the same standard as the lines that God draws. It's okay to say, like one guy at the college, I asked him about dressing up for church. And he told me this, he said, personally, I just cannot pay attention unless I'm dressed up. He's like, if I'm in like a t-shirt and jeans or I'm in something comfortable, I'm going to fall asleep in the service or I'm going to just not be able to pay attention. You know, that's okay for him, okay? But whenever he takes that personal line, those personal feelings, and says, well, okay, now everybody that does not dress up for church is not right and is not having the same relationship with God that I am or is not taking God as seriously as I am, that is wrong. That is wrong. That was the whole point of the Sunday school lesson is to show that, yes, there are lines that God has given us, lines that cannot be crossed, but there are certain things that we should not add there are certain things that we should not say are on the same level with what God wants. It's okay to have preferences, but it's not okay to make them doctrine. It's not okay to make them equal with what God wants. They're majoring on the minors, I guess, is what you say. There's another example that I'd like to give you. So where I went uh, to somewhere, I'm not going to say the name of it, but uh, they had a saying and it was this, the Christian life is not choosing between the good and the bad. It's choosing between the good and the best. That's what they always said. Sounds okay. You know, sounds like a Hallmark moment or something like that. But being there, I can tell you what it actually means. It means this, the Christian life is not choosing between what God hates or what God likes. The Christian life is choosing what I think is even better than what God likes. That's the problem. When you put your preferences in and say, well, if you don't agree with my preferences, then you're not at the same level of Christian as I am. If you don't cross your T's and dot your I's the way that I do, you're wrong or somehow not in the same level as I am. That's not right. We already said that God is the one that dictates where the lines are drawn. God is the one that chooses what is good and what is bad. God chooses what is good. And there is no best that's better than that. There is no best that's better than what God wants. God is best. God is truth. There is no truth past what God wants. And if you think that that's true, then you're a Pharisee. That's exactly what they did. Another example, uh, I know we're running out of time, but I'd like to give this one. I was in a class one time, it was my senior year. A teacher said this, he said, they do not like clapping in church. It's a huge deal. It's probably why I'm like PTSD anytime I hear anybody clap here at the church. I'm in the back like, oh, you know, can I do it? The teacher said this to me. He said, if you clap for God, you have a low view of God. That's what he said. 
You can clap for your man God all you like, but my God does not need to be clapped for. That is where it becomes a problem. If you don't want to clap in church, fine, don't clap in church. But don't make it a line and say, you're not as spiritual as I am if you clap for God in church or because you have drums in your church because of what you look like or what you sound like. That's the problem. Where does God say that he doesn't want you to clap for him? I'll give you a a little sneak peek. He doesn't say that. Where does God say that he wants you to dress up for him? He doesn't say that. Where does God say that he does not want you to have drums in services or anything like that? He does not say that. But yet we make these artificial lines and say, well, if they're not believing the same thing as us in these areas, they're not at the same level we are. And that's not right. Brother Jim, I appreciated the question, so I want to ask you one more question here. Who decides what worshiping God looks like, sounds like, or feels like? Do we decide that, or does God decide that? God decides that. Preferences are not bad. Keep your preferences preferences. That's all that God would prefer. If you feel like God wants you to dress up for church, go ahead. But don't make others feel like lesser Christians because they do not hold to what you feel like God wants for you. If you feel like you like hymns and a piano more than contemporary songs and some drums, go ahead. But do not treat others as lesser Christians or even unbelievers just because they look or sound different than what you like. We must uphold God's lines, and God's lines alone are doctrine and truth, not the ones that we make up for ourselves. So how do we know what God really wants? I know I said, you know, the first line is very clear, repent, believe the gospel. The second line is basically believe what the Bible says and hold that as doctrine and truth. So how do we know what is doctrine and truth? How do, yeah. how do we know what God wants for our life? We read about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And one thing, uh, you know, I know we're, we're out of time, but one thing that always happens with people that do this, it happened with the Pharisees, it happens with a lot of people from the time that you're talking about. Whenever you add extra lines, you always end up crossing them and then end up doing something even worse. Uh, I don't know the preacher's name, or well, I do, but I'm not going to say it. But there was a preacher that had a big video about not preaching, you know, not, not watching TVs, that kind of thing. And he smashed a TV, you know, on or whatever you call it. Well, the preacher that knew him was talking to me about it, and he asked him about it. And he said, you know, he's like, that is the most watched VHS tape that I've ever sold in my preaching. The message about not watching TVs. What are they watching the VHS tape on? What are they watching the video on? Why does it still exist if you didn't think the TVs were right and wrong? Always happens that way. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, that's... Then you had, uh, you had um, another guy. Uh, he's dead now, but um, Jack Howells, okay? He thought that people that did not use the King James Bible whenever they got saved and the moment they got saved, they were not saved, regardless of whether or not they believed the true gospel. And you can look that up. There's videos of that. I'm not trying to disgrace a dead man's name, but he did believe that. He said that several times. He said this. He said that people that got saved, not from the King James Bible, are from a corruptible seed and just as lost as people that don't believe the gospel at all. 
And then later on in his life, and this is, and I will say this is probably more of an allegation, he ended up doing a lot of sexual things that he wasn't supposed to do. This happens all the time. Whenever you add these minor lines and then you cross those thinking that those are the same lines God draws, you think, well, what's one more line? And one more line and one more line until you've completely crossed everything. And I don't want that. I don't want that for myself. I don't want that for anybody else. And I don't want to turn people away because we've added these extra things. I'll pray again. Yeah, we're a little bit late, but I'll pray. Uh, thank you, Preacher Dwight. I appreciate that. Father, I thank you so much for the time together. I thank you for allowing us to be able to have this time together. Lord, I pray that these things would be things that we think about, that would get us in the Scripture to find out what actually you have given us and how to live our life, Lord. Help us for the rest of the service today. In Jesus' name, amen.